All right, folks, sorry about that. The intro is not working on OBS. I don't know why. I will try to figure that out next time. But uh, the file is just not playing. So uh, this is Game Over Montreal, uh, hosted by myself, Andrew Berkshire, brought to you by Sports Interaction on the Steve Dangle Podcast Network, SDPN as we call it. We have our lovely moderator, Robert, in the chat here, making sure everything is kept civil. And, uh, oh, yeah, I guess I got some troubleshooting to do after the show today, because even trying to change the file live, it, nothing doing. So we'll see if the outro works and see if the video file works there. Or uh, maybe I'll have to restart OBS after we're done here and, and uh, figure it out. But we've got a great show for you tonight. Uh, the Canadians come back from a one-goal deficit in a wildly entertaining game for a 2-1 result against the Calgary Flames and win it in a shootout despite the fact that they blew a four-minute four-on-three power play. And we're going to talk about that because you can't not talk about that. I feel like in the standings they should actually get negative one points for that. But uh, we'll, we'll talk about that when we bring in uh, Dmitry Filipovich and Ian Boivere. We're going to talk about this game. We're going to talk about Jacob Markstrom versus Jake Allen round two. Again, both goaltenders fantastic. And we will talk about Cole Caulfield going down with injury, uh, Josh Anderson and Uri Slavkovsky stepping up. And I want to talk a little bit about, a little bit about Nick Suzuki and what makes him so deceptive on the ice, because I feel like uh, Dimitri is really good at breaking down individual players. So we're going to lean on him a little bit. I mean, it's something that I noticed in the game. But before we do that, you think you know the way it's going to go? Make your bet with Sports Interaction. Whether it's the World Cup, which is getting real exciting. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw, but uh, Morocco, first African nation to ever qualify this far. Fantastic story. Uh, hockey, football, or basketball, Sports Interaction has you covered. Bet pregame, live in play, or on one of our many prop bets. Sports Interaction makes it easy to deposit, play, and cash out. Join now and see all sports betting has to offer. You want to bet? Head to sportsinteraction.com sdpn. That's sportsinteraction.com slash sdpn19+. plus. Please play responsibly. All right, I'm going to welcome in my amazing guests tonight. Welcome, Dimitri and Ian. How are you guys? I'm good, Andrew. Thanks for having us, man. This was a uh, this was a really fun one to watch, actually. After the, after the one you made me watch last season when I came on your show, um, this was a nice little pleasant surprise. Yeah, I don't remember what game it was, but I know it was before Ducharme got fired, right? So it was not a good one. I have that game. Not a lot of winners. I have, I have that game etched in my brain for eternity. It was, I think it was like a December game or maybe late November. It was against the uh, Colorado Avalanche. They had like 18 shots on goal total. Ben Sherratt was very heavily featured on the first unit of power play. Oh God. And uh, it was, it was a bleak watch. I remember after the game we got on and, and you were like, let's just like talk big picture stuff here. Cause I don't think there was too much to break down from that one. I'm like, yeah, that sounds, that sounds good. Yep. Yep, that's what we had to do. And Ian, uh, <laughs> your overtime curse stays with us. We're a little bit late tonight because every time Ian's on, it goes to overtime. Yeah, this is the, I think I've done four of these so far and three of them have gone past 60 minutes. And then the, the other one was that god-awful Sharks game. So look, if I, I'm sorry, I can't help it. I'm only starting to understand what any of this means. But um, I mean, at least they won this one. It was pretty fun. I had a good time. Yeah, I mean, and what I said on the last show, because we were kind of talking about um, when they came back and made it close against the LA Kings, and at the end of the game, when it looked like they might tie it, I just kind of had this thought in my head. I was like, don't. You got completely outplayed tonight. Just take the L. 
because you need to lose some games to get into the Bedard Fantilli Michkov lottery. But whenever a game goes into overtime, you've already got the one point in the bank. Just get the other one, right? Yeah. Have some fun. Those are the games that I want them to win. But when it's like they're fighting all game and they're not playing that well, just just lose. Take the lesson of the loss and get what you're going to gain from it in the draft. Yeah, well, I, I feel like I feel like I was saying this on my podcast recently when I was talking about like teams' watchability rankings, and for this Canadiens team this season, it really feels like maybe they're winning a bit too much right now for the purposes of, of that draft stock. I still think it's a long season; like they'll get there, but yep. some of these games are are the perfect outcome, right? Where like the Canucks game recently, for example, where you I know it's kind of disappointing to blow a four goal lead and and all of that, but losing a seven six game in the grand scheme of things is kind of an ideal outcome because you wind up having that entertainment value. We played a fun game. We scored a lot of goals. Our young players are looking good. And you still wind up helping the big picture pursuit of a high high draft pick as well. And that's where you want to get into as opposed to getting into some of these like soul-crushing games where it's just an utter slog and everyone's disappointed to be there and there's really nothing to like learn from it or gain from it. So there was a lot of that last year. This year, it feels like they're they're doing a much better job of kind of having their cake and eating it too almost. Yeah, just high event hockey would be nice. Last year... I mean, there was just no such thing as high event hockey. It was <laughs> it was brutal pretty much from beginning to end. There were some nice moments towards the end when St. Louis took over. But um, yeah, I mean, from the beginning of this game, it felt like it was going to be a high event game. The score is definitely surprising, but both goaltenders were fantastic. I mean, Jacob Markstrom, if he ends up winning that game, like we're, we're talking about a goalie who absolutely stole a game. And this point, he, he stole one point for sure. Because I, you know, looking at where Montreal was getting a lot of their shots from, especially on that, you know, unsuccessful overtime power play. Um, but I mean, Markstrom was just really, really, really good in this game, as was Allen. Um, but yeah, goaltending was a, a big factor in this one. Yeah, if Markstrom had somehow stopped the Josh Anderson tip in goal, I believe this game actually would have overtaken Matt Murray's recent game as the highest goal saved above average in a single game ever, because wow. According to Natural Stat Trick, the Canadians had an expected goals for this game of six in all situations. Mm-hmm. And I believe Matt Murray's was like 5.94 or something like that, if I remember correctly. Unless it was over six, in which case, you know, still, I mean, no matter what, respect to Matt Murray. That was incredible what he did against Dallas. But Matt, Jacob Markstrom has gone from I suck to holy shit. Well, and that I suck game came against the Montreal Canadiens, right? Right. True. So what, and. What a- he was also de- like he was decent in that game, where right? He only allowed two. It's just like they didn't get a lot of shots, and one goal was right. entirely his fault. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's had a he's had a tough year though in general. I believe his goal yes. save above expected for the season before this game was in the negatives, and he had like an eight ninety save percentage, and though that's just territory that is very surprising to see him in, especially considering that Daryl Sutter's Calgary Flames predictably have a good defensive system in front of them, and today. It actually was one of his biggest workloads, as you mentioned, the six goal, um, six expected goals against in terms of how many shots from in tight he was facing. And that was like his best individual performance. So I'm sure for him, it, it must be pretty disappointing to come away with that with uh, with a loss next to his name. But he did pretty much everything he could individually. Yeah. Well, especially um, too, like that, that Suzuki goal in the shootout. Everybody knew that's the move he's going to do. Yep. Markstrom yeah. do it. And he had his glove in the right spot. He just missed it. And that's like. You know, right before that, the broadcast was saying, man, this might be the game that really turns Markstrom's season around. And then he immediately gives up that shootout goal 
And then he gives up another one high glove to Doc immediately after that one. Like, I mean, I, goaltending, a lot of it is psychological. So, like, you kind of have to wonder where he's at right now. I'm I'm very curious to see what his postgame comments are after a game where he kept his team in it for 65 minutes and then just had it crumble away because Nick Suzuki did that thing he always does. I hope he oh, can shake see- it off just because he deserves to feel good about that game. Yeah. Well, as soon as he gave up the Suzuki shootout, oh, he literally just, went yeah. like this. <laughs> so I think that was pretty telling. Uh, yeah. yeah. It, it wasn't a feel-good goal, that's for sure. Especially because he called it. Like, that's the worst. I feel like th- that's one of those situations where the worst thing you can see as a goalie is a player, like, slightly flub a shot if you've, if you've read the shot. And I feel like Sla- uh, not Slaff, uh, Suzuki just slightly flubbed it a little bit and it didn't go as high as he wanted. Just trickled through there, but that's what happens yeah. sometimes when you get good chances. Uh, breaking news here from reporter Uri Slavkovsky. He said he knows what happened with Cole Caulfield and that he'll be fine. So Uri Slavkovsky, <laughs> rookie and also rookie reporter for the Montreal Canadiens. Is he, is he a reporter or is he a, is he a medical professional as well? Both. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. Dr. Slav, yeah, you know? Nice. If they He's gave the it most to Rekki, talented 18-year-old of all time. That's true. <laughs> oh, man. But uh, yeah, okay. So let's let's talk about the Caulfield hit quickly and how many accidental injuries there were in this game because <laughs> what the hell is going on out there? I think the uh, the Nazem Kadri hit from Suzuki was like accidentally on purpose, like he meant to get in the way, but didn't mean to demolish him like that. Whereas obviously Chris Tanev, hopefully hopefully he's okay. That yeah. was brutal to watch. And uh, Caulfield, I don't think Trevor Lewis even knew that Caulfield was there until the last second. I don't think Trevor Lewis knew where Trevor Lewis was. That's like true too. he was he was coming back into the middle of the ice, and like Caulfield's so good at avoiding contact, he's so good at being in places where he knows nobody else is going to be. I think Caulfield kind of assumed nobody was going to be coming through the middle of the ice like that. Um, yeah, that one was entirely accidental, but still. Still sucks considering that Suzuki and Caulfield combined for like thirty three percent of the Canadians' goals. So this is true. Yeah, if you told me if you told me this game was going to be this exciting and we'd see Caulfield play like four minutes total or whatever you want to play with, I, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have believed <laughs> you. It's really unfortunate to see that. Hopefully, he is going to be okay, according to uh, Uri Slavkovsky and his uh, his intrepid reporting. But yeah, the Tanev one was was scary because like I got to see him up close here a lot in Vancouver for for many years, and he had established this rep as being like a warrior that would like, just like fearlessly stand in front of slap shots and, and just eat them and and keep playing through through pain and just seeing him like get hit and be that vulnerable by a puck like that was pretty terrifying. So, um, you know, I, I really hope he's okay because he's one of my like favorite players to to watch and root for, and and seeing anyone hurt like that is 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 pretty miserable, but. Seeing him, especially like considering that I know that like he's not one of those guys to like milk it or, or no. kind of like you know no. you know be, be be playing it up like that was was full value that puck he took and so um, yeah hopefully he's gonna be okay. Yeah, it yeah, reminded scary. me of uh, years ago when Mike Green let one rip and it hit Josh Georges in the back of the helmet and it, it left, left the a puck, puck impression in the helmet, <laughs> but it hit him like it hit him like the base of the skull almost. Hey, like. Yeah. That's a scary spot to get hit. And I think what drove home how serious it was, it wasn't even that he was like laying down and hurt. It was how woozy he was once he'd gotten up and and was leaving the ice. Like, as you mentioned, Dimitri, like Chris Tanev is an absolute warrior and way more important to this Flames team than I think a lot of people, except for Thomas Drance, 
who voted for him for the Norris last year, realized he <laughs> like without him in the playoffs last year, I think is a big reason why the Flames crumbled against yeah. the Oilers. But man, that I don't know what is going on there, uh, like what the injury might be. But hopefully for Chris Tanev and his family, it's not as serious as it looked. Yeah, no, it's tough because like it's really scary when the Bell Center gets that quiet. And yeah. we've unfortunately yeah. seen a lot of issues, a lot of situations like that. There was the Dano on Chara years ago. Um, like you mentioned, the, the Mike Green one. Like it's it's when you get a building that quiet, you know something really, really brutal has happened. I I was kind of curious that they didn't they didn't stretcher him off because like getting him up, like they needed like six or seven guys to pick him up. Like, you yeah. know, that was it was scary. I I it tough thing to watch sports. We've kind of been like getting completely inundated with this sort of thing recently. You know, if anyone watches the NFL, the amount of quarterbacks who have just taken hits and they get up and we see footage that we should really never see on live TV. Um, you know, that's, that was pretty brutal. Yeah. And obviously we all hope that uh, he'll be okay. And, and Cole Coffee as well. I saw some requests in the comments to do the prayer circle or the summoning circle that we had on the show a few weeks ago. I don't know if you saw Dimitri, but uh we had to run a show and my power was out. Okay. So I was running it off of the LTE on my phone <laughs> and I had no lights. So I had, to, I had to uh, light with candles. So it looked like That's I was amazing. like the undertaker, like Kane from the early two thousands running a promo. It was, uh, it was quite the event, but unfortunately I don't have any matches right now. I've got the candles yeah. still over there, but uh, can't queue up the summoning circle that easily. For Cole Caulfield, but hey, if he misses the next game, I promise I'll bring it back for him. All right, so everyone in the comments is upset. We can do it. Uh, let's talk about well, before we talk about Slavkovsky a little bit, because I do want to get some talk about him tonight. I thought he's been great, but uh, before we do that, gotta remind everybody if you're enjoying the show, please like the, the video because it really helps us, helps us grow in YouTube algorithm. And uh, that algorithm is not kind to live videos right now, it's it's hurting us on this game over venture that we're doing at sdpn so really like the show subscribe hit ring the bell so that you can get notified when there's a new video and also uh click that share button underneath the youtube video there and share on your favorite social media your social media of choice tell your friends about the show it helps you know everybody who's in the comments and in the stream chat you're part of the show as well you can you know throw us some topics sometimes that we talk about that are better than what i've written down and uh, sometimes you go back and forth. You're part of the show, too. So help us grow. The more, the merrier. But uh, let's talk about Uri Selkowski. I want to start with you, Dimitri, just because you have unbiased eyes in this. And uh, I think we're all looking for things to to point out to see where he's improving. And I think the Canadians fans can find those right now. But to your eye, how did Uri Selkowski look tonight? I was really impressed. I was actually, I had, I jotted down a few notes and I was going to ask you if that was the the best game he's played because I obviously haven't gotten to watch every single one he's played, but in the samplings that I have seen, like that was certainly the most kind of involved or engaged that I've seen him. I think that was his career high in, in ice time and shot attempts. He had the primary assist. He drew a penalty. And especially like, I think the goal that he set up there for Anderson was kind of exactly what you want to see from him, right? It was, it was a play down low. He shows the soft hands in terms of the pass out to the front of the net, but it also came on kind of like a, a multiple effort play, right? Where, where he set up the first try, it didn't go, they wound up working it back and then he sets it up again and it goes in. And so that's kind of everything in one clip that you're hoping to see from a combination of size down low, 
with the hands and the playmaking ability. And so, yeah, I was, I was thoroughly impressed. Like I, I didn't know what to expect coming in because I haven't seen that much from so far this season. And like, I want to see more of that because like, that's something to really build off for him. Yeah. I don't know how you feel Ian, but I would say if it, if it wasn't his best game, it it was like top three so far. this season. Yeah. That's probably where I'd say it. I mean, there's a very low bar because of just where he had been playing for the vast majority Mm -hmm. of the season. Like, God love Michael Pizzetta and Jake Evans, but they are not Josh Anderson and and uh, and Dvorak. So, you know, I I really enjoyed his game. Like Dimitri said, I think around the boards he's particularly strong. I feel like that's an area he needs to get stronger at because he, this is his first time playing on North American ice. He's never played on this ice surface to this point. You know, he's used to having a little bit more cushion around the wall. Um, I think that's why he takes a bunch of the bad hits that he takes. I think it's why he throws out a bunch of the bad hits that he takes the hit that we saw on Matt Luff against Detroit earlier this year. Um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed his game. I, I really hope that this is a step in the right direction for him and he continues to to, to play that kind of style. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. I think that uh, his strength continues to like grow a little bit. Uh, you know, for a guy who's as big as he is, because I, I think he's tied with like maybe Arbor Jacai is like the heaviest guy in the league now, yeah. which is, is crazy when you look at how strong Jacai is compared to Slavkovsky. But like, I've seen a lot of veteran reporters being like, Oh, he's so weak for his size, but he's an 18 year old. And I think there's, there's just a huge difference in terms of like physical maturity, even at the same weight between an 18 year old and like a 26 year old. Not that uh, Jacai is 26, but if you understand where I'm going for, like yeah. a prime age guy is, it's a different kind of muscle, right? It's not quite old man strength. Yeah. But it's different. How much is how much is he listed at? I'm really curious to hear you say that. Before the season, I think it was like 238. Okay. 100% the heaviest guy right now is the guy on my t-shirt who... <laughs> Alex Ovechkin. Is packing on an insane amount of just like dense weight on his frame. Like I, I, I've heard all like the rumors of like how much he actually plays at compared to like what's reported and it's significantly higher than, <laughs> than, than any other, awesome. any other stat sites would, uh, would indicate. So, um, but yeah, it's listen. Yeah, you're right. Like it's going to take him time. I think it's also going to take him time to like, not only get stronger, but learn how to use it in a functional way mm-hmm. as Ian's saying there. And, and, you know, watching what someone like Kirby doc did today, for example, and seeing the strides he's made this season, like how many times just tonight alone, did he, get the puck and kind of like take it around the net or or skate around the offensive zone and use his frame to, to keep the puck away from people and basically shield it and protect it. Like you have to learn that by trial and error and learn it on, on the fly in the NHL. And so that's only going to come with more reps. So I'm not worried about that at all. I think it's a natural progression for him, but yeah, seeing like the signs that it's coming together is always like super encouraging. Yeah. hundred percent. And he's got that like big frame that looks like it's going to build into the right style of body. And like sometimes the way that he plows through guys and just kind of keeps the puck out of their reach while physically fending them off. You can see where the potential is to become just like this tough guy to handle. Right. It's uh, like, I know Jack Hahn made a comparison to Tage Thompson recently. And I think that's a little bit premature in terms of Tage Thompson is so friggin' good now. And three years ago, he might've been the worst player in the entire NHL. Like he was so bad. Like the trajectory was absurd. 
and I know part of that is because he was being told to be like the big physical guy and he was like, no, I'm a skill guy. And they're like, no, 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 you're too big. Play the big physical role. And then eventually they gave up and let him play the way he wants to play. And he was like, guess what? I'm going to score five goals in a game. I don't know if Slavkovsky has that ceiling, but in terms of big guy who can do crazy things, I can see the comparison. And, you know, Doc is probably a better comparison, honestly, because Doc is a guy who, you know, you listen to Chicago fans in the summer, like, oh, he's weak. He doesn't play physical. And you still hear people say he doesn't play physical now, but he plays physical in a way that, like, I don't know there's many people in the league who are stronger on the puck than he is. He just wins battles constantly. Yeah, I have two quick points on Thompson there because it's interesting that you bring him up. One, I shudder to think at like how many mistakes are going to be made over the next 10 years of teams thinking they have the next, the next stage Thompson, Thompson or trying yeah. to trade, draft the next stage Thompson or giving some oversized guy who underperforms infinite opportunity because they think he can turn into the next stage Thompson. Like, I think it's and, and part of what makes that story so cool is what a unicorn he is almost in, in terms of his trajectory and the things he can do. And so like, I just enjoy that for what it is. I'm not trying to like extrapolate and learn stuff from it, but one thing we can take from it, that's really interesting. You bring that up is because what Tage Thompson had to go through was they actually moved him to center. And a lot of people were shocked that he started producing when they did that. And it's actually because he couldn't handle being along the boards like that. He, he, he's a big guy and he's lanky, but he doesn't necessarily have the puck protection skills and he would get kind of caught in awkward positions with the puck in his feet. And so they basically just moved him off the boards, moved him to the middle of the ice and said, all right, just play a skill game North South that way. And that opened up so many things for him. So I don't, I don't really view, like I think Slavkovsky's bread and butter is actually going to be, using his strength along the boards and making plays like we saw today. Um, so yeah, in terms of the frame and coming along slowly, the, I agree with that, but I think just entirely different players and doc probably is a better comparable in that regard. Yeah. It's super funny to me that we're using Tage Thompson as a comparable. My brain still hasn't caught up to the fact that he is exists like, a premier yeah. forward in this league. Like I'm still thinking of, wow, I can't believe they traded Ryan O'Reilly for this guy. I'm still like when he was traded because I'm from Connecticut. I was like, oh, he went to UConn. That's cool. And like I was, and everyone went, eh, this trade probably doesn't look all that great. It didn't look great at the time. It didn't look great for like two years. And now all of a sudden he's just this monster that is, you know, he's just putting up insane amounts of points. So, I mean, it's just, I just wanted to know how funny it is that we're calling Tate Thompson a comp <laughs> in a positive light for uh, an NHL player. A lot changes in a short period of time, right? The hockey yeah. is a fast sport on and off the ice. Uh, Kay in the chat says that she remembers uh, St. Louis or Slavkovsky saying that he watches uh, Miko Rantanen a lot, which, I mean, hey, if you can turn yourself into Miko Rantanen, nobody in the world is going to say no to that. Rantanen is a fantastic hockey player. Uh, but yeah, Slav, I think uh, tonight also the eye test and... The stats agreed with each other. He actually led the Canadians in, I believe, expected goals and uh, shot attempts relative to team. Him and Josh Anderson seem to have something going. I mean, anytime you can get Josh Anderson going, that's an accomplishment. Not to totally trash him. Did you see that clip I posted? Yes, I did. That cracked me up so hard. Oh, Oh, God. God. Who was it? Was it Armia at the blue line in a board battle? And Anderson's just like, I'm... I'm done going for a line change. He skates by and it's funny. He comes into the frame. He like looks over. He's like, nah, not today. And just tops <laughs> over the boards. So good. Well, speaking of Armia, I, I don't want to hijack your show, but I did want to talk about why 
he was being used in such high leverage moments on the power play. Because he's right-handed? Yeah, fair enough. I think that's yeah. it. That's I think that's as deep as it goes. Um, yeah. I mean, this goes back to, like, wasn't wasn't Claude Julian using him on the power play yep. at some point? Like, like we, we have not, we are, we, we are not learning the lessons we ought to have learned. That is, that is three power play coaches ago. And they're still trying this guy at, 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 on the power play. It's just not He Look, I really enjoy Armia on the penalty kill. I feel like there are moments for him where he's doing that thing where he's shielding the puck with his body. And it seems like he gets stronger with every forward that gets attached to him. But I, Man, he's he he's got. I think he's got two points this year. Like he's really really struggling, and he's getting a ton, now he's getting a ton of power play time, and it's it's just still not going in for him. Yeah, I honestly tonight I thought Armia should have scored at least two goals. Yeah, I tonight was like he was flat out cursed, yeah. like some sort of like that. You could say that for his entire career. Though, that, I mean, sure, but like. A few years ago, he was scoring like 13, 16 goals a year, right? right. And yeah. the last couple years, last year he kind of had a better time at the end of the season when there was no real stakes. He scored a few. But this year, like nothing. Like, I don't think he's actually playing poor hockey. He just can't get anything going. And he has that. You know the difference between like a good goal scorer and a guy who can like score in bunches once in a while is just like the speed of release and like the ability to take the puck and immediately shoot instead of like cocking it back. And yeah, you know, you lose that half second and all of a sudden a sticks in the lane or, or a shin pad is in the lane. There's that that hurts Armia as well. Cause he doesn't have a one timer, which kind of kills his usefulness on the power play. But also he, he's that guy that in practice, you watch him and he's like, Oh, I'm going to sit like from the net and one hand, wrist shot the puck through the camera hole from like 20 feet away and you, you see all this skill and every year reporters are like oh my god this guy he's gonna break yeah. out and teams probably too look at him like oh this giant body dude who can play physical and he has all these skills and it gets into a game situation and he's like i don't know some sort of windows 95 computer that gets a virus and shuts itself down all the time i don't know like i i think armia is at his best when he just keeps his game simple, mm-hmm. the problem is he's paid like a yeah. like number four or number five winger in the NHL, and he's yeah. just never gonna be that. Yeah, he got Lekkonen's contract. Yes. Yeah, yeah. He's a. I mean, I think he's a useful player. I've actually I've been a fan of Armia for for a long time. I I gave up on the idea that he was ever going to realize that scoring potential and put it together, put the flashes together for an extended period of time. I view him as like, this is a useful player. So I don't mean this is a knock, but I view him as a player you send out there and hope nothing really happens in terms of the score sheet for 40 seconds at a time, which is useful, especially yeah. for this team, just probably not in high leverage scoring situations where you actually want to try to score, which yeah. some of these power plays were. And so I think that's my issue with it more so than trying to critique him as not being a useful player or not deserving to be on the ice. It's just in those specific moments, I think you can be more ambitious than just handedness. Yeah. yeah. I think he 100%. was, he was really, he was really on one in that Canadian division season before mm-hmm. Tyler Myers brained him at the end of a hockey game. You know, like he was really, he was really looking like he was going to take off. And I think he's, I think he's two or three concussions deep since then, which, Never helps matters, but no. you know, yeah. so it goes. 
Yeah, and the other thing is, like, when you look at when he's been most effective, I feel like it's usually on the fourth line. Like, if the Canadians were to retain half of his salary, I think they would still, at this moment, because he's big and because he has a history of good, like, playoff numbers, get something for him. I think people underestimate how much value Armia has across the NHL. It's, It's just that he has value on a cup contender as a luxury player. Uh, and not so much on a team where he's going to have to be relied on to score. And that's kind of the issue. I mean, look at how many players are missing from the Canadians. Like I I was going to write it down. I forgot, but there's like Monaghan, Matheson, Savard, now Caulfield. Like there's a lot missing in terms of scoring punch and, you know, transition ability in terms of Matheson. I know Savard's not a a great player anymore, but he's was playing huge minutes. Uh, yeah. this season yeah. so that puts more pressure on other guys it's just the fact that they played so well in this game should probably be the bigger story that we're talking about instead of ul armia but uh <laughs> let's you know let's talk about the power play in and of itself because that four on three power play they had some chances but watching them be so passive is just painful to me on a power play where like you're in overtime you're sub- like you have four minutes, you don't have to rush it, but take charge. And my thought heading out of that overtime was like, they're definitely going to lose in the shootout now. <laughs> and they deserve to lose because a four minute four on three power play should be an automatic goal every time, no matter what. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I wonder, you know, you took talk about that kind of um, passive player or, or, or not being as aggressive as you would have hoped for. Do you think part of that is just not having Caulfield there? Not that their power play has been amazing even when he has been in there, but he's clearly like the preferred trigger man and they're trying to set up his shot and then not having him there kind of almost looked like no one really knew what to do. Not that Mike Kaufman ever needs extra incentive to to release, but it's it's I, I, that's what I was kind of kept coming back and thinking when I was watching it happen because that kind of stuck out to me as well. Yeah, they were definitely dis- discombobulated from the lack of Caulfield, but like Nick Suzuki is usually the one who like dominates the puck on the power play anyway. And it seemed like he couldn't decide which side of the ice he wanted to be on. Yeah. He switched a lot. Yeah. He did switch a lot. And, you know, maybe credit to the flames for killing penalties pretty well, but I thought I saw a lot of open lanes that they just weren't willing to take the risk to do. And I, I guess when you're running like Mike Hoffman gets too much hate, from myself included and Twitter was on one tonight, like just absolutely ripping him a new one because of his uh, little behind the back pass on, I think it was on the power play that gave uh, the flames a little break there, but I don't know, like between him and Armia, like you, you've got to have guys that are decisive on a power Mm -hmm. play. Right. And Hoffman is decisive. If he's put in a position to just shoot, like you're, you're here to get the puck and just shoot. But if he has to make plays, he's too tentative. And Armia, like, he just doesn't belong there. And Suzuki, I thought, was a little bit tentative. Doc was a little bit tentative on that power play, despite, like, I thought uh, Doc and Suzuki were great all game long outside the power play. Mm -hmm. But uh, they just couldn't make a decision. It was weird. You would think that with all of the injuries that they had, both in this game and outside of this game, that Jordan Harris would finally get a chance on the power play, and it still has yet to happen. Um, I, I, I cannot fathom why they don't, they don't see him as that kind of player. He, he, he played the power play in college. 
He walks the blue line like almost no one else does on this team. I don't know why that they're not. I don't know why they're not giving him that opportunity. Especially the four and three. I know is a little bit. That's a lot of responsibility to give a guy you've given thirty seconds of power play time to this season. <laughs> but but like you can throw him out there for a five on four when your team is zero for five in the game. Like the the lack of creativity in their problem solving is very concerning to me. Yeah, they're down to thirty second in power play goals per 60 so far this season so maybe the fact that he has maybe the fact that he hasn't gotten that usage is actually more reason to put him out in that situation because clearly whatever they've been doing previously has not been working i was i was stunned to see it too because i remember andrew when i had you on my show like i was talking about how like i liked a lot of the pieces and i liked the theory behind it all and then you keep looking at the results and you're like this is just not good enough and for a while it seemed like no one was going to catch the flyers as the most impotent power play but uh they've done it after tonight's showing, they uh, they finally are incredible. <laughs> Never count out the Canadians in a bad power play race. Never. Dude, this the is the Flyers were using Zach McEwen on the top unit power play for a while. I I thought yeah, I thought they bad. had this on lock, but nope. <laughs> sure enough, here here come the Montreal Canadiens. And and, and th- this really shouldn't. You're right. This really shouldn't be the tone of this show because there was so much to like from today's game. 100. percent It might have been the their... environment to young players. Yeah. Like it honestly might have been overall their best game of the season, considering the circumstances of who was injured. I know the Flames had their injuries as well, like Elias Lindholm's out, but the Flames are still a very good possession team. They run like Sutter hockey; they don't give up a lot of chances, and the Canadians really did like take it to them for a lot of like a lot of this game. Outside of the second period, they were by far the better team, and yeah, I feel like Calgary also got some beneficial calls from both the referees kind of just making things up like the Anderson trip on Jacob Markstrom, which was Markstrom going out of his crease and tripping Anderson and then yelling at the ref. And also just the Canadians just being stupid. Like doc at the end of the game there, he's like, I'm just going to slash this guy's stick 200 feet away from the puck and then also catch their feet and fall over. Like, I don't know. I feel like the flames had opportunities. They didn't earn in this one. The Anderson trip was really funny because I feel like every time I come on this show, I complain about the ref a mile and a half away making the call when a re- the ref 10 feet away doesn't make it. The ref that was in the zone that the play took place in did not make the call. It was the ref in the neutral zone who didn't see. There's no way he saw the stick on skate contact. There's no way he saw any of that. And he's a mile and a half away. He goes, don't worry, I got this one. It drives me nuts every time I see it. I know people complain about bad calls from referees those happen they're human i don't understand whether why they're just going gym class hero from center ice trying to make a call on a play that they just can't see yeah it is an odd, it's an odd one but that's we should all we should all aspire to have the self-confidence that <laughs> yeah. a far official making a call that they didn't see has it's always it's always like preposterous to when they come like skating in and they're just like so demonstrative and it's like yeah. oh like, who is this guy? And yeah, I know exactly what you're saying because it's hilarious just seeing that. And it happens way too frequently. My so favorite is when they do like a goal up. call. Yeah. <laughs> like a, the back refs, like it's a goal. Yeah. It's like You can't see anything. What are you talking <laughs> yeah. about? Yeah, it's really cool. It's a great sport. Yeah, it is. More <laughs> off ice officials. I've been campaigning for this for years now. Less on ice, more off ice. If soccer can do it, Hockey can do it too. I know it's a faster sport, but come on, we can do it. There's the technology exists. NHL, you can help these guys. You can train new officials by having them doing off ice official work. 
you could have 10 guys working one game with an earpiece for the guy on the ice where you could talk to him and say, like, hey, you missed this, go over, get that guy for a penalty. You could even call the rule book. It would be amazing. You know, we could change the game in a positive way. And also abolish offside reviews, please. Enough of this garbage. All right, we got off track, or I did. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to talk about Nick Suzuki because uh, obviously he scored in the shootout tonight. Uh, Overall, good game from Nick, but, uh, you know, without Caulfield there, doesn't have his usual trigger man. Although uh, Doc in the shootout has a lot of people saying that uh, he needs to shoot more. After showing those hands, he does need to shoot more. But uh, one thing that I noticed at the end of the game, I think it was about one minute left in the third period, and I forget who put the puck up the boards, but might have been Doc. And Suzuki came in, took the puck on the boards, and he was skating in, but he uh, Flame was right on him. It might have been Rasmus Anderson. And then Suzuki just stopped a little bit, waited for the Flame to like continue going, and then cut to the inside and took a shot on goal. And it's those little speed changes that I'm not comparing talent level in any way, but it reminded me of Joe Sackick, who used to mm-hmm. do that all the time. That's how he would create space in the offensive zone. He'd break into the offensive zone with speed, slow down, and then wait for defenders to react, and then speed up again. And he'd create so much space for himself by just creating lanes and, and driving towards them. And Suzuki, that shiftiness that he has, like he's not... Uh, a fast skater per se, but he has skill in his skating that allows him to do things like that to just open up wide areas for him. And that kind of stuff just excites me as a fan. Yeah, I was going to say, I didn't, I can't say that I saw the Saka comp. I was actually going to say it's, it's a bit Datsukian for me, where like his, it, it's, it's weird to, it's almost tough to put into words. Like you almost need to like see visual evidence of it to be like, aha, like that's, that's exactly what I'm talking about. It's tough to describe it, but he basically gets to wherever he needs to do it and he makes other people look like they're off balance. And so it almost speeds himself up, even though he's not necessarily skating that fast himself. And so that's like a really cool quality. And, and yeah, I don't, I don't think that's, I mean, I'm sure you can work on it, but that's just one of those things that I feel like you're almost kind of like just bored with. And, yeah, and others thinking, aren't, and that's what makes him special. Yeah, are you thinking of the Datsuk uh, Logan Couture highlight? Oh. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think he makes. I think he once again. I don't want to compare the two players because I think like Datsuk's a, a goat, but yeah, the, the way he makes like other players uncomfortable sometimes it really makes them kind of like look off balance and you're like it's weird that like this other professional hockey player looked so poor on this one clip and it's it's because he he almost has a way to just like he puts the pucks in their skates and he and he changes speeds and directions and it just kind of throws them completely off kilter yeah i don't know if i have much to add there i i I think that just the way that i think the way he skates is is enables him to make those kind of moves he has a very wide base when he's skating um you know not in a sense where he's like overly spread out like we used to see galchenyuk like he was you know his skates were as far away as they could possibly get at all times yeah and he wouldn't move his legs when other guys are trying to check him and just take his knee out every time yeah guys guys be careful as soon as you mention alex galchenyuk's skating base i've heard jack Hahn just appears Out of nowhere and just it's starts like, yelling at you about it. So it's his favorite careful. thing. Yeah, you're, you're trading on some very dangerous waters here. <laughs> I'll watch my tone. Um, okay. But he Suzuki has a very low center of gravity that like helps him. He's like very he's very stocky for a guy that that's built the way that he is. Like he's not 
you know, we see other centers like like Kirby Doc. He's not, you know, Kirby Doc's built straight up. Suzuki, I don't know, I don't know how to explain it, but he's just he's got he's built way more stocky. He's and thick. I think it yeah, it enables With two him C's. to like yeah, two C's. Yeah, one on his chest. Yeah, they, he, they gotta he, start stop calling him slick nick, it's thick nick now. <laughs> thick nick for sure. Yeah, thick nick energy one hundred percent. All right, yeah. come on, chat, get that going. Start we're gonna hashtag thick nick on this episode. <laughs> Good stuff. Good stuff. They get censored by YouTube. Sorry, I interrupted you, Ian. Go for it. <laughs> no, no. I mean, that's really how that. I feel like that's that's fitting how that ends. I think we can leave that there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You know, we didn't even talk about Jake Allen. I know he wasn't as challenged. The second best goalie tonight. Yeah, second best <laughs> goalie tonight, and still really good. Like he wasn't challenged nearly as much as Markstrom, but another big comeback game for Jake Allen after a period of struggles. Uh, I saw some questions earlier in the chat asking like why they're riding Jake Allen so hard. I think this game specifically, he was always going to start because there's a back-to-back coming up, and then he played so well against Calgary. Was it a couple weeks ago? Last week? A couple weeks ago, I think. So this one, it makes sense. But uh, they do need to start getting Montebo in there a little bit more. Agreed. montebo has yeah. been good. Yeah, outside of the end of that Canucks game, Yes. Mm-hmm. Where yeah. I can't even fault him because literally every single player on both teams completely lost composure and every shot was a goal. Yeah. Like, it was, that was a fantastic game to watch, but probably the most annoying game for coaches. Yeah. <laughs> I went to bed after the second. So I was like, ah, they're, they're up four to two. I think we're safe. I woke up and I checked the score and I was literally, I thought my, I, I couldn't see. I was like, there's no way that says seven six. Like that has to be broken. Um, yeah. But outside of that, Montevo has been really strong. 100%. It's, All uh, right. So wait, one note on Allen. So before this game, I don't know I don't know how many expected goals the Flames had today. Evolving Hockey has Allen at like five goals save above expected for the season before this game with an 8.96 save percentage. I can't I can't That's say crazy, that I've ever eh? seen th- I can't yeah. ever say that I've seen those two numbers back to back like that before. I know this year is like an entirely different scoring environment than we've ever really seen, especially since the data goes back to 2007, but that's crazy. A sub 900 like that with like a one of the better goal save above expected in the league. That's 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 pretty rare. Yeah, it is. Like... It's really weird. Uh, the Flames had 2.84 expected according to Natural Stat yeah. Trick. Tonight. So it went so up. Yeah, another big game for Jake Allen. And it's like I for, where was I talking about this? I don't even remember. I can't remember anything anymore. Two children gives you brain damage. <laughs> but uh, I was talking about uh, like our evaluation of goaltenders has to change drastically because for the three of us, for sure, I don't know about the fan base demographic, but for the three of us, for sure, we kind of came into hockey coverage at a time when the average league save percentage was like 915, right? And this year it's 904. So what was average 10 years ago when like Carey Price was winning a Hart Trophy, I guess it was like eight years ago, uh, now is spectacular. Like a 915 goalie now is an upper echelon goalie. Like yeah. a 905 goalie in 2014 is garbage, and now they're better than league average. So you can have games in the 80% and actually still be really good. And it's it's weird. You have to actually understand, I think, more of the advanced metrics now that the game has shifted so drastically than you had to 10, 12 years ago, which is kind of yeah. cool. Yeah. I also just think yeah. like 
like from a from a situation standpoint I, and i don't i don't think i have the the data immediately to back it up but i feel like the the games where allen gives up a lot of goals he doesn't see a lot of shots and the games where he doesn't give up a lot of goals he sees every shot he's got he's got the halak syndrome where like if he sees 40 you're winning like that's just that's the way that the game is going but like if he sees 16 17 18 shots like for whatever reason, it just doesn't work out for him. So I, I I'd like to see that play out a little bit more. But like if you get him over thirty five shots, I feel like you're winning the game most nights. Yeah, I was trying to find my copy of the game because my bookshelf's right here, but I can't see it. But uh, Ken Dryden has like a whole chapter on that in his book, talking about how there's good good team goaltenders and good bad team goaltenders. <laughs> and Jake Allen might be a good bad team goaltender that like he likes to see a bunch of rubber and that's when he excels. But when it's like a tight game where he's not seeing a lot of shots, like he can lose his composure a little bit. Maybe that's that's the issue with Jake Allen. Although I think also when he gets overworked, he just loses focus a lot during the game. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. All right. Anything else stick out to you guys before we close this out? Uh, for me, no, not off the top of my head. Yeah, I wanted to talk about Docs, uh, Slavkovsky, Markstrom. I think we kind of hit most of my major talking points. I'm not sure what about you, Ian. I just as a as a Jordan Harris truther, I would like to say that he had a fantastic game. I really enjoyed watching him play. Um, on the 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 Anderson goal, they the the Flames were going for a home run pass to uh, Kadri, and he not only broke it up but turned it into a controlled zone entry, and they scored immediately afterwards. So just a really Strong night for for him and Kovacevic, who um, you know robbed them of a two on zero um, backdoor pass. So I really like that pairing, but I, I really want to see more of Jordan Harris. He's a lot, a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, it's nice to see him rebound a little bit because I think he's struggled since they started yes. doing the uh, the rotation of the rookies. Whereas yeah, like Jacky, I think has kind of solidified himself by feeling like he no longer has to prove that he's gonna like earn a spot every game. He seems to be settling down a little bit. But yeah. it's nice to see Evans, not Evans, sorry, that was my next point, uh, Harris settle in a little bit as well and, and get back to what was so good about him earlier on, earlier in the season. And I wanted to shout out, of course, what I just missed. Uh, Jake Evans had a really solid game tonight, especially on the penalty kill. So it's nice to see him get his groove back a little bit after a really rough start to the season, especially offensively. But uh, we'll see if the offense comes a little bit for him as uh, the defense comes up. But uh, thanks, guys, for joining me here tonight. Thanks to everyone in the chat for joining in and helping us out. And uh, before we go, first, Dimitri, and then Ian, tell everybody where they can find your work. Oh, man. All right. This is going to take a while. Um, you can follow <laughs> me on Twitter at Dim Filipovich. Uh, listen to my show, The Hockey PDO Cast, which is on daily every weekday now on the Sportsnet Radio Network. And read my work at uh, elite prospects ringside and i wanted to since we are on youtube as well i've started up a a youtube channel at the hockey pdo cast which is basically just taking my uh twitter mixtapes that you've probably seen and just blowing them out and making them even longer and posting them there as well so if you're uh, hanging around after the show on youtube and looking for some hockey highlights to, to kill some time with uh hopefully you'll go check that out and like it and, and subscribe to that page as well and you can find that link in the description to this video if you're watching live or on the replay or in the description for the podcast if you want to open that up as well and check out Dimitri's mixtapes because they're always good. And as yeah, as Noob Gaming says, please subscribe. All right, Ian. Mine's quick. At maybe it's Ian on Twitter. Uh, subscribe to the build where you find podcasts. Uh, I think it's just about everywhere. All right. 
Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you, everyone. We'll see if the outro works here, because uh, I don't know. The intro didn't work. Who knows what's going on with OBS? So we'll, we'll see you on, I guess, Wednesday as the Canadians start a back-to-back. And if you're enjoying this, well, why not stick around for more Game Over shows? There's other stuff on tonight. I think there's other Canadian teams playing. Uh, we've got Game Overs live for every market on SDPN right now. And uh, make sure you subscribe. Hit the like button on the YouTube uh, video. Subscribe to us as a podcast. All that fancy schmancy stuff to help us out. We'll see you on Wednesday. Game over! Powered by Sports Interaction, Canada's Sportsbook.